Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC, the Chautauqua Institution, the Cleveland Clinic, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated. Good afternoon and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland. I'm Michael Murphy, Chief Marketing Officer for the Cleveland Foundation. I'm honored to introduce today's forum, the second in our Reimagining Journalism series, a conversation with two of the co-founders of City Bureau, Daryl Holliday and Andrea Hart. The City Club, a citadel of free speech for more than a century, has a special affinity for the First Amendment, which protects, among other things, a free press. The headline that local journalism faces challenges in our increasingly digital world is old news for sure. It's not uncommon to hear about the closing of another, often local newspaper, or see journalists on social media announcing a new job search after a layoff. And yet the consequences are very real. Without journalists and newspapers, many smaller cities and towns are left without a way to obtain the information they need to understand the critical, issues facing their community or to hold public officials accountable. The shrinking media landscape also has other consequences. For the newsrooms that remain, a continued lack of diversity means historically ignored or underrepresented communities and groups are covered inadequately, if at all. There is also an increased potential to perpetuate false narratives and stereotypes. City Bureau is aiming to change that. Founded in 2015, City Bureau is a nonprofit civic newsroom based on Chicago's South Side that brings journalists of varied racial, ethnic, and socioeconomic backgrounds together with communities to create responsible media coverage, increase civic engagement, and hold government leaders and public officials accountable. How is it working? What can Cleveland and Akron learn from City Bureau? Does this model represent the future of local news? Here to provide answers to those questions and more are Andrea Hart, City Bureau's co-founder and director of community engagement, and Daryl Holliday, City Bureau's co-founder and news lab director. Andrea is a journalist, media-based organizer, and interdisciplinary educator. Since 2010, she has led youth media organizations as well as designed collaborative journalism programs for media outlets. Daryl is an entrepreneur, a Studs Terkel award-winning journalist, and founder of the Illustrated Press, a media production collective covering urban issues with comics, sequential art, and traditional reporting. Leading them in conversation is Lila Mills, communications manager for Neighborhood Connections. For eight years, Lila has focused on lifting up the stories of residents making positive change in Cleveland and East Cleveland. First as the editor of the grassroots newspaper, Greater University Circle Neighborhood Voice, and now as the program's communications manager. Prior to that, she worked for 10 years as a journalist in television and print media. Lila, I now turn the forum over to you. Thank you, Michael. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so welcome to Cleveland, guys. Hello. So let's dive right into this. So Daryl, I heard you speak in the spring, and you gave a speech called Don't Just Engage, Equipped. And in there, you have a quote, one of my favorite quotes, which is, journalism is fundamentally not a profession. It is an act of citizenship. 
So let's start there. I feel like that's the basis of what you all are doing at City Bureau. It's what makes it so compelling. Sure, sure. Uh, maybe I'll try and break down that framework a bit and we can go off of that. Um, that emerged from City Bureau's four, nearly five years of work. Um, you imagine a Venn diagram with three circles. The first one is informed, the second is engaged, the third is equipped. Um, most journalism lives in that informed category. I'd say 90%. You know, it's, uh, we write stories, we hand it over, we say you're welcome, we tend to leave. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, the second circle is uh, engaged. So uh, a lot of journalism, or maybe let's say roughly 10%, journalism is emerging into the space of en engagement. You know, like how do we build relationships with, with communities? How do we get closer to people who uh, we cover? How do we turn the, the audience into our community? Uh, but where City Bureau tends to live is that equip space, which is how do we democratize journalism? Um, how do we share the skills that journalism journalists have? How do we distribute them as widely as possible so that people can um, take up the role of information gatherer, information distributor? So talk a little bit then about what does that look like to equip somebody to be able to do that? Because it's not as simple as just kind of going out and, and covering Right, you right. need some of the tools to, in order to be able to do that. Right, and I, I tend to say that those three things, inform, engage, equip, journalism that we want to see does all three of those things. So while we tend to focus on the equip space, um, I think it takes them all. So our three programs, um, uh, we began with our civic reporting fellowship, which brings together uh, emerging reporters. They may not have even gone to J school. Some of them have worked in, in banks. <laughs> and we found out they're brilliant writers. Uh, we pair them up with more experienced reporters, and, and they produce work that is collaborative and you know, put out across the city, across the country, really. Uh, the second is the public newsroom, which Andrea runs, and I'll just, I guess, be really brief. It's such a wonderful space uh, where um, these really cathartic moments happen, where the, uh, what is that my favorite thing that you um, say? The powers in the person who's asking the question, not the presenter for the workshop series. Yeah. So the, this team does a really, amazing job of working with people that we bring in as co-hosts to design these unique works, work uh, shop um, uh, templates, designs. And our, our third program is our documenters program, which in a nutshell uh, trains and pays people to monitor local government. So we send them out to public meetings um, and they bring their information back and then we do reporting around it. So all of our programs are built around training, building trust, distributing those skills to people. And one of the key things that you all did this summer <clears throat> for the first time, so you're four years old this year, yeah. for the first time you released community engagement guidelines. Mm -hmm. And so I'd like to talk a little bit about why four years in, did you feel like now was the time to do it? Yeah. How'd you do it? Because how you did it is a reflection of kind of the authentic community engagement that you all are known for. And, and then we'll get to the third question. Okay. Um, yeah, so why four years in? So Audre Lorde, who was a political activist and organizer, she had this quote that was, if you don't define yourself for yourself, other people will do it for you. And um, so we were really conscious of being in this moment where we had been doing all this amazing work and felt an obligation to our community. Like we're, we're kind of an affirming space. Like all of the things that people have historically been saying, they were criticizing journalism for doing. We became that space that was sort of the response to that. And so we felt like it was we, ha we were responsible to our community to kind of come up with more formal language that they could point to and, and sort of use in their own ways to be like, this is the journalism that I want to see. Mm. Um, and so the way we went about it, that, so that was why after four years of doing the work. And then 
And also, because we had been doing this work for four years, that, that was a, a lot of those engagement guidelines came out of listening to what people were getting out of or how our work was functioning. Um, so it was a lot of listening to produce those. We, we hosted a couple of sessions with all of the people that Daryl mentioned, all the programs we run. We hosted a few series of sessions with people about what, do you, what makes City Bureau City Bureau, what does good community engagement look like that's um, equitable and like inclusive. So then after that, we then vetted them through the same process and then published them but highlighting, making sure that we highlighted sort of all of the influences that we had. Because we, as much as sometimes we feel like a journalism newsroom, sometimes we feel like a classroom and we, we pull a lot from traditional organizing spaces because we feel like they've paved the way for, for some of the frameworks that they've been using. So we definitely, when, then when publishing it, made sure we highlighted all of those that we sort of were influenced by. Yeah, that was one of the coolest things. And even now, right, you can, you can still kind of go in and add and yeah. edit to those. So it's kind of a living, yep. growing document. Yes. So one of my favorite guidelines is about not adhering to a timeline that doesn't accommodate our community. Yes. And I think that's so key to talk about when you're talking about City Bureau because the deadline in journalism is often the thing. Yeah. And so talk to us a little bit about timelines that accommodate community. Well, I feel like there's a, you know, we've both gone to journalism school and that you're really groomed to have a false sense of urgency, which sort of correlates with a false sense of importance, I think. Um, those tend to go hand in hand. And so we felt like one of the ways to really remedy that was to really prioritize a pace that you could move at the, what some people say, like the pace of inclusion. Um, so, and part of that is because, you know, in the fellowship, sometimes the fellows don't produce stories because at the end of the 10 weeks of diving into a topic, they realize that wasn't what the, commu the community they're trying to serve wanted. Um, so some of it tends to look like that. And, that's, and so part of it is so that you don't feel obligated to produce something that nobody's going to use because um, we do feel like time and again hi Karen <laughs> sorry <laughs> we feel like time and again you know a lot people will be producing things all the time constantly but there's never sort of a thought of like was this useful and so the immediate it was an immediate antidote to that and you know you probably have more to add to that no no I think that's perfect okay. I completely agree <laughs> I mean, if, if I were to add anything I mean I think it applies to our staff too and trying to keep in mind the ethos of um, just moving slowly I, I tend to be urgent like I want everything done quickly and I feel like you know like this now is this huge time we have to get it done um, I learned a lot just from being a part of this team yeah. that works in so many um, you know, incredible different ways to just like slow down and prioritize people and the work that we're doing and the relationships I mean relationships mm -hmm. take time so right. um, you have to build the trust and you have to earn the trust so that being said you don't have to produce something if you're doing a 10-week fellowship but fellows do produce things yeah so talk a little bit about the after the trial zine because I feel like that's something that was produced through a fellowship and also has a very specific audience in mind yeah mm -hmm. Do you want to go or do I want to go? Yeah, let's, let's try. We'll, we'll, we'll double team it because our, our editorial director really led that part from beginning to yeah. end. But um, so fellows don't have to produce in the fellowship, but I think almost more importantly, they don't have to produce a traditional news story. Yeah. It can be a workshop. It can be a zine. Mm -hmm. um, it could be just a community event that shares the information from the research and the investigation that they did. Uh, we are very big on reimagining the structure of journalism, like what the product has to be or is. Mm -hmm. um, 
And it can be a lot of things. The, the goal really is what do our communities need in order to consume that information or to, to learn from the information. That might be told different things. In this case, it was a zine. Um, uh, one of our reporting teams, they were working on, ah, I forget what the issue well, was right now. Manny had a connection to somebody who was on the, in, who was incarcerated. And I think what, and they were trying to like, he was trying to fight his case. Mm -hmm. and, so Manny was a fellow. Right, Manny, Manny was, was a fellow. fellow. Yeah. And so what they ended up, they were on this path of producing the typical like humanize the narrative kind of story. And then when they got done, the person that they had been working with was like, this is great, but I can't use this. And so it became an afterthought or not. It was like sort of another thing that was like, well, if we're actually going to try to produce something for folks on the inside or and even their and their family ones and, and their family members and loved ones, something that they can use. Um, that was where the zine then came from. And we've actually gotten us. We get a decent amount of requests often from folks. Um, who are either working in like sort of nonprofits, trying to support folks who are on the inside, or or family members of people who have folks on the inside who want access to the zine. Just basic things about like how to what how much something might cost, or like phone call thing, phone call things, the voicemail things, all that stuff. So really ground basic information. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Service service journalism. So that yeah. leads us to the hierarchy. Is oh, your hierarchy journalism a necessity or a luxury? Um, so explain that to us. Talk a little bit about the hierarchy and how you develop, how you even, how'd you even get that idea to do it in the first place and then tell us what it is. I mean, the idea came up, it was really fun. We were literally sitting on a trampoline with a bunch of our friends who work in the media industry. Um, a shout out to Sarah Alvarez from Outlier Media who convened um, about 15 different journalists who work in this sort of engage, equip space in various degrees. Uh, brought us all together to a gigantic house in outskirts of Detroit. Um, broke us into groups. We all started talking, and what emerged from that, or at least one of the many things that emerged from that, um, was this conversation on a trampoline around um, <laughs> uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs was the underpinning of it. Uh, we began thinking about information in terms of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and as in. Uh, on the bottom are just like those basic essential needs. You need to know when the bus is coming. You need to know about you know safety issues. At the top would be sort of the more self-fulfilling. You might place uh, like entertainment news in there. Um, none of these tiers are any worse or better than the other. But we wanted to conceptualize what it meant to um, shift news from being um, uh, what's the word Sh shift news from being just purely about the clicks and getting information yeah. out to what does it mean to really, really uh, equip. I go back to that word all the time. Yeah. What does it mean to equip people with the information that they need? And that begins at those basic levels. Yeah, because like we, I mean, we get, you probably got this shoved down your throat a lot at J school where it's like humanize the narrative, humanize the narrative. But then when you start wondering like, well, what do the humans who know the narrative need? That's when you start rethinking the, the, the sort of like, is your journalism a luxury good or not. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's that's the pivot. Like you can humanize a narrative, but who is that for? Mm -hmm. um, oftentimes it's like not necessarily for the humans who are in that narrative. It's usually to try to bridge some sort of understanding of what life is like for X kind of person. And that's gonna fall, so humanizing the narrative is gonna fall at the top of that pyramid. A little bit, yeah, it can, yeah. And so, taking it down to the basic would be like yeah. the after the trial zine. Like, okay, so if I'm humanizing the narrative, I'm gonna learn a lot of things in my reporting 
that I might put into the narrative, but that aren't really getting to the basic information. So right. I'm learning the, the information, but maybe not sharing it. Right. Uh, Docudo is another example that I would put at the bottom of that, uh, that hierarchy, uh, where we all need to know what is emerging out of our local government. Uh, but increasingly, news organizations are unable to attend those meetings or um, really cover those meetings with politicians with the due diligence that we all would like to. Um, we've shifted into how do we involve many, many more people in that process of civic accountability and pair them up with journalists. So that's mm -hmm. all, I think, at that very bottom rung of mm -hmm. what do we really need to know to um, make our communities better, safer, healthier. And that leads to your journalism as a necessity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about power and impact. Mm. Love if talking about power. If you're working <laughs> in a newsroom, you hear impact. What's the impact? What's the impact going to be? Yeah. So you you make an interesting definition around impact and power and how, as journalists, yeah. hold a lot of that power. Absolutely. Um, it goes back to the title of this of this uh, event, right? Reimagining journalism. I think a lot of that starts with reimagining impact. Um, I think as journalists, I mean, we have a lot of power as journalists, just flat out. We should just begin with that step and move from, from that point on. Um, but when we think of impact, I think we tend to think of it as like the big story. Mm -hmm. Like I got the mayor fired, Watergate. Right. Yeah. You know, like that's, that's what impact is. Um, but redefining impact for us looks more like, did our work build relationships? Did we build community? Um, who was connected by this work? Like, did it get to the right people? Who was the audience? And I've heard you tell a story about the pothole, right? So if I'm a journalist working in the newsroom, I write a story and the pothole gets fixed by the city. Mm -hmm. What does that story look like through City Bureau or through documenters? Yeah, we've used the we've used potholes. I, I use the mayor example a lot. Um, when we think about a typical pothole story, what it would be is that a journalist covers the pothole and that's basically it. Um, through City Bureau, it would really look like us um, figuring out who in that community is already networked. Um, really, this is the teach a man to fish metaphor, just put into journalism. You know, mm -hmm. instead of uh, the journalist being the hero of the story and getting the pothole fixed by writing the story, um, how do we equip people with the information they need to? get those potholes fixed as they, as they arise. Mm -hmm. So that might, might even be a story. That might be, again, it might be a workshop. Mm -hmm. It might be something else. It might be how do we bridge the gap between the local politician and the community? Where, where's, the, where's the fissure? Where is it broken? How do we identify mm -hmm. that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think like we talk a lot about power in, a variety, in like all of our work, but part, one of the things that we consistently do with the public newsroom is try to call into question a lot of the dominant narratives that power like like sort of causes us to think through so like for example we've hosted several newsrooms around certain like what is this how should we report on crime how should we report on um, sexual assault um, because we felt like the way those things are defined is that they're harmful you know mugshots Mm -hmm. um, not centering a victim, those kinds of things. So we host those spaces to kind of also call, call into question this, like the standard way of doing things and acknowledging who has the power to say what is the standard and who has the power to say like what is objective and what is the truth versus like who hasn't historically had that power and what does it mean to center those folks to kind of rewrite the style guide for being a journalist. 
That, I think, is it, that's so key to what you all are doing. Because yeah. a lot of times I think we use the term community engagement and we may think, oh, we're all doing community engagement. I talked to some people, mm -hmm. I did a focus group. But what you're talking about there, shifting the dynamic around who has the power, right. um, acknowledging the trauma or the pain that kind of has gone on generation after generation mm -hmm. by the stories um, is so crucial. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a willingness to be uncomfortable and, like, to be held accountable. And I think, you know, when we talk about relationships being a metric of impact, I think people, the immediate thought can sometimes be like, oh, you're just going to have this, like, happy-go-lucky. But, like, healthy relationships, like, if we think about a healthy relationship, it's uncomfortable. <laughs> it's, like, it's being honest with each other and showing up not just when I'm like doing the right thing, but also correcting me when we maybe need to have a conversation about something. So I think like that's when we think about like accountability and relationship. When we think about relationship building for us, it's like building a network of accountability. So like we're very place-based, we're unapologetically Chicago, we, you know, but, and so doing that means hosting a consistent space where people can show up and say, hey, you should maybe consider making sure you're sending out documenters assignments on X, or hey, can we have a public newsroom about um, how to better this local paper in my community because I wanna kind of, I wanna take what you guys are doing and put it in my space too. And that consistent space is the public newsroom? Yeah, it's, it's, it's the most consistent space, I would say, because I mean, we've, we do it every week. So we've, we actually are hosting our last one for the year and it's our 127th public mm -hmm. newsroom. Um, so I think it's the easiest entry point and we do them around the city because as you guys may or may not know Chicago is one of the most segregated cities so we host them all around the city predominantly south and west side sometimes it's in an ice cream shop like we literally hosted it was entirely in Spanish um, a workshop because it was in Little Village um, so on the southwest side and it was about it was ahead of the election and instead of focusing on like city council elections we talked about what does an alderman do and how do you hold them accountable because regardless of who wins our responsibility there's a lot that happens in between the four years of an election so sometimes it looks like that sometimes it looks like you know like i mentioned how do we let's talk about re rewriting the style guide inspired by what daryl had been doing like let's rewrite the style guide about crime reporting because it's racist and it's harmful so. <laughs> clap for that. <laughs> um, so let's back up. So it's four years ago. None of the things that have grown in these four years exist. How do you even, how did you start? What was your first idea? Should I do the bar joke? Yeah, do the bar joke. <laughs> Um, so there's four co-founders of City Bureau, um, Daryl and myself. So a reporter, an educator, and the other two aren't here, a publisher and an editor walk into a bar and basically talk crap about their jobs and out comes City Bureau. <laughs> that, that's like legitimately how it happened. Um, because all four of us sort of were we were complaining about symptoms of larger systemic issues within whether it was education, whether it was community reporting. And we felt like there must be something we can do to try to kind of come at this. And one of the immediate things we talked about was kind of rewriting J-Schools um, because like the, the pipeline to become a journalist is really problematic. It's really expensive um, to go to J-School, which is weird if this is a position that's supposed to be there for democracy to thrive. Why is it so hard to be a journalist? And so we, and we wanted to make a newsroom that looked like Chicago and then just kind of go from there. So we always kind of started with this idea of like, what if we just brought people together and saw what happened? 
Um, and so we, we, we launched with the fellowship. We actually launched with a community event about mm -hmm. data that we were centering for the first year and a half. We knew that, so we started around the time the Laquan McDonald stuff was, was bubbling mm -hmm. up and we knew that it was going to be really huge and we could definitely really predict how traditional media was going to cover that story. Um, and so we decided to stick to talking about policing and community safety for a year and a half, mm -hmm. but through like a city bureau community centered lens, um, starting with the fellowship and making sure that we had a newsroom that looked like Chicago and, and went from there. Talk about the youth media space a bit. Oh too. yeah, and so one of the other components of that with with the fellowship, one of the things we prioritized was that they mentor young people once a week. Um, not and and also it's kind of like mutually mentoring because the young folks are often from neighborhoods that the reporters are reporting on and don't often step foot in there. So there's this really beautiful exchange of cultural or social capital where like the young folks are kind of learning how to be journalists through our fellows and then. Our, our fellows are learning how to not be so extractive in those communities. Um, and from that, we, had a, we even had some youth media makers co-produce work with our fellows that landed in The Guardian and th mm -hmm. things like that, um, which is great. You know, that's affirming on, on a, a variety of levels. But mm -hmm. the longer term relationships that have kind of developed from some of those partnerships has been, for us, I think, more of the priority than anything else. Absolutely. So you started with the fellowship. Yes. And the fellows are, you've said that you don't have to be a journalist, but mostly are. Uh, I don't know if I'd say most are aspiring to be journalists. Okay. Some have been to journalism school. Some have freelanced. Um, in the beginning, we had different tiers. So the first tier was what we'd call like the emerging reporters. They tended to be younger. They tended to have less experience. Um, then we merged, moved into having team leaders. So we had a... Uh, reporters who did have a good deal of experience, who may have freelanced for a long time and may have worked at a previous outlet, um, really co-mentor each other in a team. So the team leader would lead the team, the reporters would assist, and they'd work together and produce stories. Um, really, though, they, they come from all over the city, which we prioritize in all of our programs that the programs look like the city, mm -hmm. demographically speaking. Mm -hmm. And that had been a movement in journalism for so long yeah. in the 80s and 90s. So I think one of the things I think is so interesting about what you all are doing is you, you really have taken this kind of huge systemic issue and said, okay, there is something we can do about it. We're going to do it right now. And then you go do it. So it looks a little bit easy. <laughs> it can't be that easy. So then so you have the fellowship, you get the funding, you start the fellowship. Yeah. You know your place-based, you know exactly what your mission is, and so that keeps you clear. Well, how do you add on? Because right now you have four different program areas, correct? Uh, three program areas and four leaders. Yeah. Um, I think we can't really describe City Bureau without describing that this sort of like flattened structure um, makes a huge difference to the shape of the organization. Like the four of us, we don't have an editorial director. There's no one person who is the leader of City Bureau. It's four people coming yeah. together and um, we adapt to each other and the organization adapts to what that becomes. I think that keeps it, um, there's a certain like holistic quality about it that yeah. I really appreciate. Yeah. I don't know if I answered your question though. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think like we, I think one thing is like people see what they're gonna get. And so I think the fact that we made it really explicit what the fellowship was about, it sort of was like magnified our bat signal of mm -hmm. like, if you're into this kind of work, <laughs> you're gonna come to us. 
Um, and then, you know, after we did the fellowship, we felt like we really, we wanted to be an open newsroom, so we really need to open it up further. So that's when we were like, let's do this. Well, at the time it wasn't weekly. And then we quickly sped it up to mm -hmm. weekly, <laughs> the public newsroom, partially to continue to grow this community. It's like very traditional organizing practices where it's like, okay, then how do you keep, how do you open your space further so that people understand what you're about? And then they become the people that are telling other folks. Like a lot of it became, was really organic. Mm -hmm. And I think it was just like, it's a testament to what can happen when you do allow people to ha have some joy <laughs> and reprieve from the world. Um, and I think that is sort of what, that's been our most effective recruiting agent is joy. Um, yeah, and then also- I think and someone called it unabashed boosterism. <laughs> And I was like, that's right. Like, I'll take it. Um, and then, I mean, even with documentaries, we, we prioritize, do, we do free trainings and we do them in libraries. And we do them around the city because those are accessible. Um, you know, anybody can walk into them. So part of it is like maintaining this level of openness um, so that we can, so that that can keep happening. Let's go back to the joy. So at Neighborhood Connections, we host gatherings and we call them aspirational and yeah. people will say, well, that was really fun and nice, yeah. but what else? What happens, mm -hmm. what happens next? Um, but I think we feel like it's so important that there is a public space, there is a civic space that's joyful yeah. mm -hmm. and that that doesn't really exist. So talk to us a little bit about the importance of setting the space. Oh, and yeah. saving that space, holding that space that can be joyful, that can be um, aspirational. Yeah, or do you want me to add how, how we set that space? Yes. Yeah. So I mean, so, so my background's in a mix of like teaching and, and I think, and predominantly in like an after school setting and mm -hmm. like trying to um, do away with a lot of the, the trauma and like deficit lenses that come into the public school space <laughs> with young people. So a lot of that is like, how do you, you know, sitting in circle, having folks share like why they're there or like some sort of like low key icebreaker. But, and so we, we definitely manifest that. I feel like in all of our programming, like even our staff meeting, our, every week at our staff meeting, which was today right now, actually we're missing it. <laughs> um, you, there, we always do an icebreaker question. So I think part of it. Big clap. Yeah, and we do a big clap big at clap the end. <laughs> so I think a lot of it's like, we talk about, you know, being being able if you want to, like showing up as your full self. Your full and self, so I yeah. think allowing okay. that to happen and then also allowing, being really committed to being a mutual learning space, which in addition to relationship building is really uncomfortable, right? But like letting people hold each other in that space. Like we've had traditional journalists come to the public newsroom and been asked questions that they were really challenged by, um, like particularly that question of what, so you did this long story, what's the impact? And they've sort of have fumbled because they've been, you know, trained as a traditional journalist. And they're like, well, I'm not supposed to think about impact. And then the part of the room audibly gasps. And then part of the room's like coming to her defense. And it, but then there's sort of this, this beautiful conversation that then happens without even the person presenting. And I think that's what it means to like kind of center a space for, for joy. It's like, we're, we're here, we're, it's okay. And it's a learning space, so yeah. it doesn't devolve into like, okay, now we're going to tell this yeah. traditional journalist. Yeah, and we'll set what. expectations depending on the topic. I mean, when we've done top, when we did the topic on how to report on sexual assault, we were really clear about we were really clear about the parameters of the space, and, and even on the crime reporting one. Um, so part of sometimes the workshops or anything we're doing come with extra sort of guidelines, 
And then if we need to, we have facilitators in the space who are sort of trained in a city bureau fashion. I think we can talk a bit about trust too. Trust is a really big topic in yeah. journalism right now. And um, you hear a lot, you know, people, the public doesn't trust journalists. Um, I think what I've really come to and just keep seeing again and again is that journalists don't really trust people sometimes. Um, so having a space where people can come in and we say, we trust you to be here to make this space what it is. Yeah. Um, I think that really lends a, a good deal to um, allowing for joy or spontaneity or new things to happen. Yeah. And the importance, and I, I, we are actually over time, but the importance of the fact that joy is, is, can be enough. Yeah. That you know, having this aspirational space, that is a huge twist and shift um, from spaces of trauma or yeah, well, especially if you're trying to reimagine something. You're literally asking people to participate to in, in science fiction. That's like what yeah. Adrian Ray Brown says. It's yeah. like we're, we're asking you to participate in science fiction. So, yeah. Okay, I am Lila Mills. I'm communications manager for Neighborhood Connections. And today at the City Club, we're listening to a forum with City Bureau co-founders Andrea Hart and Daryl Holliday. We're about to begin the audience Q&A. We welcome questions from everyone. City Club members, guests, students, or those of you joining us via live stream. If you'd like to tweet a question, please tweet it at the City Club, and our staff will try to work it into the program. Holding the microphones today are Communications and Outreach Manager Julia Wong and Director of Programming Stephanie Jansky. May we have the first question, please? Hi, good afternoon. Um, William Tarter, and uh, thanks so much for being here. Um, I actually have two questions. One, uh, Ms. Hart, you had mentioned coverage of the Laquan McDonald shooting and uh, the expectations of how that story will be covered. And I'm wondering if you could kind of expand on that and what expectations um, do you see uh, from, from journalists on uh, covering a very traumatic issue like that? And um, what you guys did to kind of respond to that. And then the uh, the second thing is I know journalism is driven a lot by, by clicks and subscribers and, and readership. So because you guys aren't driven by that, how do you measure success uh, and the impact that you uh, that you make? Do you want me to do the first one, do the second one? Yeah. Because I know you love that <laughs> quick question. <laughs> um, so I think we knew that once the, the video was released, there was going to be a lot of back and forth between like what was the what was happening with the officer who murdered Laquan McDonald, and then what was the, what were the police doing? And th there was going to be a lot of following like sort of the official story and a, and a lot of rehashing and reshowing that video. Um, and actually, what one of our fellows did was decided to investigate the story when it first broke. Like, why did this story not become, why did it take so long? Um, and so what she did was she discovered that she looked at the, she basically did this investigative piece for a while and determined that, that reporters were often, whenever there was a police-involved shooting, more times than not, they were referring to the police union press release when a police when an officer involved shooting mm. happened so so one example is like we literally turned the lens on journalists to be like why are you why is this your first source um haven't seen that guy since yeah haven't seen the president of that movie <laughs> since so so that's an example of sort of how we addressed it yeah and the question was about about, about how, how do we evaluate our work aside from clicks and uniques and all that and um, it's a hard question um, the the chart beat model. I know journalists in this room are familiar with chart beat at newsrooms all across the country. There'll be a big screen in the newsroom that tells you exactly who is on what story at any given second. Um, 
that's one way to measure our work, but it, it often, I think, lends itself to sort of a corporatization, a monetization. Um, we're looking more at relationships, um, the generation of new ideas, new projects, new collaborations between people in our programs that might emerge from our work, but, but leave it. Um, so we're literally in this process right now of kind of redefining what evaluation means, which again for us is a, really about reimagining impact. So long answer, a little bit shorter. I don't know all the answers yet, but we're getting there and we're gonna be writing about it heavily and we're working slowly towards it and I, um, I feel great about the work that's, that's happening right now. Thank, thank you so much for being here. I have a question. There are two levels that we're looking at. Journalists who have all the words who can tell a story. We have the general public who is losing their literacy. They're just texting half words. How are you bringing these two groups together to be able to present the whole story? And then we can take it program by program. Yeah. Um, all three of our programs um, focus on how to bring, really it's in our mission, yeah. um, uh, bringing community journalists together to produce work that is impactful, equitable, and responsive to the public. Um, the Civic Reporting Fellowship, um, it is intentionally uh, much less about how do we extract the story and more again about who needs this story? Who's a part of this story? Who are the experts that are not the experts? Who are the experts in the community? Who are the community experts? Um, so we're rethinking uh, who our sources are. Uh, we're rethinking how to get information to the people most affected. Um, and I think that results in stories that um, involve people in the production process that should look more equitable. The public newsroom is a good example of that. Uh, we literally bring the public into our physical newsroom space once a week uh, or different space around the city um, where people get to in some time, in some cases, I guess maybe interrogate is a strong word, but interrogate journalism. What does it mean? Like, who is it for? Um, I think that's an important act because journalism is very opaque. Um, people see the end result and uh, that looks like a story, but it's hard to understand who was quoted and who was uh, left out, you know? what lines were left on the cutting board. Um, so really dissecting what journalism is and who it serves as a part of the public newsroom. And finally, documenters is almost literally, I think, your, your question. Um, there's about uh, 1,200 people who have accounts on our documenters app right now. That means people who are basically saying, uh, I am interested in being a government monitor for, for our city. Um, they are taking on the role of journalists. You know? um, I tend to think that we've put a lot of pressure, but also responsibility on journalists to be the civic watchdog for all of us, but really that's a civic function. That's a collective function. So merging those, that Venn diagram into a circle is really a large part of all of our work. Sorry, that was a little bit of a long answer, but I love the question. I think too she was asking also about the, the piece around sharing that information, right? right? Mm. So documenters share that information yeah. in different ways. Oh, Daniel Walk, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, the school, like the thing that he shared. 
from the... Wait, you go ahead. I'm... Are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I think, so what ends up happening, because you're building this, like, network of folks, so we had this documenter who attended a CPS meeting, or it was, like, it was a meeting about a South, a South Loop a school, um, um, and he had attended that meeting, and obviously that information was put on documenters.org, but then he took it upon himself to then share it on Facebook groups that he knew of people that may or may not have been able to be in that meeting. So what, you're, what we're seeing is like also people feeling empowered to then go and, and share, share this information. And it's more meaningful because they like know Daniel and they trust Daniel and they're actually gonna read that. And they might share it by text. They might share yeah. it in all different ways. So. Yeah, yeah. Cordell is uh, one of our documenters who's been a long time documenter now is um, teaching a class in civics to I believe high school students based on the work he learned as a documenter. Uh, so it's really important to us that documenters and the rest of people in our program take the work and do whatever it is they want to do with it that informs their communities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think part of it right now is like getting a, a large base of people to further address what you were talking about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hi, um, I'm a senior at Solon High School. I'm very curious when you guys speak on growth and um, the future today for the news. And my question is today is how do you think our peers and you know expansion of how we should get involved compared to just Snapchat, Instagram. You know that's our perspective of news. Does this look right for journalism in the future? Do you think um, even articulation skills, what you guys are doing right now, do you think that might become I don't want to say extinct, but just less popular because of lack of social skills in my society? interesting one because the social skills have changed a bit right like there are younger folks who are much better at texting than any one of us it's still a social skill um, how can we use the tools that we're all familiar with and the the, the pathways that we're all familiar with to um, I mean in my case often I think about holding power accountable and that could be done through a lot of ways it could be us talking up on a stage or I don't know how can you use TikTok I think about TikTok a lot uh, <laughs> um, but how, how do we use the tools that we have, and there may be new tools, but um, how do we use it to repair these civic divides, these social divides that we have? I'm, to, I'm, I'm issue agnostic, I'm tool agnostic, I think yeah. whatever works, that's, that's what's up. Um, uh, could you talk a little bit about how you pitch your stories or market them to mainstream media outlets. Like your stories eventually get published in these outlets. And uh, surely what you have said a while ago, your news values are very different from their news values. And that's what you're basically mm. there for. So how does that work out? Let's say a story is published in The Guardian. The Guardian is a left newspaper, but it doesn't mean that it shares the values that you have mm. professing, right? Mm -hmm. So how does that work? in terms of the fellows work on a the story, then how does it get pitched and what, eh, or any experience that you can share right. in that con those conflicts that arise mm -hmm. in values? Uh, I'll try and do maybe the brief mechanics first and then get, because the answer is kind of complicated. It's a spectrum, really. Um, but yeah, the, the, our reporting fellows work for 10 weeks at a time, three times a year. So there's a new group of fellows every cycle around basically 10 to 13. Um, they work collaboratively together. Uh, they work with the editorial director to shape that story over the course of the 10 weeks. Um, in that middle period, we're kind of serving as like middlemen. Uh, we have connections with a lot of different outlets and we are talking to them saying, you know, we're working on this issue. We 
basically put it out. Whenever we have a new cycle, we say, here are the three issues that we're gonna be diving deep into. If you have tips, if you're interested in publishing these, let us know. Uh, every time we get tips and we get editors and you know people, sometimes our friends, others saying, let me know when that story comes out. They might produce a series of work, like I said, workshops, stories, and they might produce one investigative piece. Um, that, that's sort of just like the mechanical part of it. Um, the how is it received part, which I feel like is part of the question, like how does it work in with the uh, other organization? Yeah, because deadlines are very difficult. Yeah. That's the spectrum part. Uh, I put one end being maybe like it can be transactional, where we want to get a story out and there's a certain amount that is going to be paid for that story and it's done. It shows up on the radio or online. Um, the far other side, uh, how much I want to talk about this, but there's a certain Trojan horse quality to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where um, we have these values that uh, we believe in, we know people in our network, our community believe in. Um, we feel it's partially our job to make sure that those values are proliferated. So if that means that um, uh, sometimes work with organizations um, looks more like, uh, <laughs> again, it's kind of what transactional, but embedding content or even people. Yeah. Like we began City Bureau initially as uh, thinking about the pipeline you know, with the youth reporters becoming fellows, the fellows becoming team leaders, documenters becoming fellows and team leaders. Uh, it was all designed to sort of, um, uh, uh, I guess, grow and support those values. So having an impact in that way on other organizations is part of our work too, and that comes through editorial, and just it comes through us blogging, um, preaching, teaching about those values. Yeah. Do you feel like you're old enough now to be, um, do people come to you and request to kind of, oh, well, you, it's such a great program, let's take it in, in house. Do you see people wanting this and more of this in their newsrooms? They want that or they want us to do like a diversity training. <laughs> they, that's, <laughs> that's what we've been getting a lot of requests for. Or like, yeah, how do we do what you, you do? Can mm -hmm. you give us an hour session or something? Yeah, and then we'll go do it. <laughs> but, and, and so maintaining your independence is crucial. Yeah. So, you, I mean, at this stage, you're old enough to have had enough success that people are like, yes, we want some of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's important for us to, I mean, this kind of goes back to your question. There are some transactional qualities about stories, and I think that's perfectly fine. Then we have these really deep value-aligned partnerships that are extremely important to us and is a huge part of the reason why we're here four years later. Um, it's important for us to stay independent, but also, I mean, it's just part of our DNA. Yeah. We, we created City Bureau from literally nothing. We are independent. Uh, we're not backed by a corporation. We have members who back us every single month with their you know, hard-earned money. Um, it's important for us to maintain our voice and to choose our partners wisely. Um, is that what you were getting at mm -hmm. the question? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because you're old enough where it must, you must get a lot of those offers at this stage? They're, they're increasing and they're interesting and yeah. we sort through them and we figure out the ones that are really aligned with how the, the future of journalism that we see. Um, and the rest, we can't do everything. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. We can connect people to each other, yeah. to other, mm -hmm. other resources. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hi, my name is Kaylee Geelink. I'm from Solon High School and I'm a junior. I was wondering, you said earlier that um, uh, journalists nowadays are trained 
to not follow up on the effects of a story. I was wondering why that is and if you think that's ever going to change like over time. Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it in the train, I think part of it's like this false sense of urgency, like you, you can't follow up on a story, like you're not, you're not trained to do it. But then I also think it's about like, when we think about who, make, who makes up a newsroom, it's like in like, and why and how they choose to cover a story. It's sort of that's sort of the other reason why they wouldn't necessarily think to follow up if that makes sense. Like mm -hmm. I think part of it's and then also um, I think you know the trend to not prioritize local reporting. If you're not really thinking about place-based work, like if you, that's also another reason why I think like there's no like like substantive follow-up. I think maybe I have two things here. And I'll try and be brief. We talked a bit about like reimagining journalism and talked about reimagining impact. Uh, reimagining engagement in some quarters, I would say this type of this reimagine ownership. Yeah. Um, the representation of newspapers. I mean, they news organizations do not look like the communities they serve. Yeah. They're wider. They're more male. They're richer. Um, that's not across the board. Period. But there's plenty of studies. It's 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 yeah. it's common enough. Um, I think there is a future in which there's less too big to fail journalism organizations and more smaller, nimble, very, very focused on the community journalism organizations. And in that future, I would see those organizations following up on every little story that's important to their people. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, we're extremely hopeful about what's happening um, and I guess we're working towards it. Thank you. Um, so you've started to expand a little bit outside of Chicago. Can you talk a little bit about movement to Detroit? and maybe come in here and what, what that looks like and what would that require? Uh, our first major expansion was Detroit uh, with a documentaries program and that program's going really well. Um, we're a nonprofit 501c3 organization so we are funded through foundation support, like I said, membership, um, consulting, different kinds of work, revenue from stories. Um, expansion's interesting for us and tricky because we are so place-based, like what does it mean for a local organization to be a national one? Um, for us, it looks like capacity building. Uh, we don't, if we, when we do expand, our goal is not to have like City Bureau Earth, City Bureau Global, <laughs> you know? It's, 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 that, it's that we are um, expanding the ideology, the values, the ethics of it, and then the mechanics of the program. So in, Detroit, for example, the future of that ideally is that that documentaries program uh, builds a little capacity and then it runs locally. That we aren't the ones always having to run everything. What we provide is the you know the foundational how-to, the technology, um, being able to call someone and say like, what am I doing? How do I do this? And the experience. Um, so that's what we're looking at. And in Cleveland, I mean, we love coming back here. We're going to Akron tomorrow again. Um, we are introducing a tool that is underlying our documenters program um, that basically takes all of the meeting holding agencies, all the government agencies in the city of Cleveland and Akron, just like in Chicago and Detroit, puts them all into one place. Um, and that technology is um, a service to journalists, a service to community organizers, to residents, to students, um, and it is also the foundation of our documenters program. So that's the one that trains and pays people to go to those meetings. It answers the question of where those meetings happening, uh, what's being decided, what is the city council doing this week, 
Um, it's hard to find out, so we made it easier. Yes, uh, could you please talk about your experiences working with young people who are foreign born who want to become journalists? Sure, yeah. Um, so I mean, we, like we mentioned, we have you know, a fellowship that really looks like Chicago, so that's looked like a range of folks, whether they're from you know, the Latinx community or like other immigrant communities. Um, but I mean, we just, we just have them and they pitch stories. I don't really know, I'm not sure what else you wanna, what else I can say other than they've worked through our fellowship or we have folks who are in the documenters program and we've, we've hosted public newsrooms with like um, specific, you know, ethnic outlets that are trying to talk about how do we do investigative work in Spanish language when like there's such a gap of support for Spanish language outlets. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think the only thing is that diversity isn't just racial diversity. Yeah. And we prioritize diversity. Yeah. Equity. And that means, you know, reporters who speak Spanish and yeah. work in that area. And yeah. Hi, how are you? Thank you for coming. How have residents in, in the neighborhoods responded to your, your reporting? We don't know, normally get to see the stories that are reported on the the traditional media, how are the residents and the neighbors, yeah. neighborhoods responding? Some of them become documenters. I mean, that's like yeah. one of the- They get involved. They just, they start getting involved. That's one of the, the, the obvious things that we've seen happen. We've seen people come to trainings and be really excited about the fact that they're gonna get to, you know, get to be a part of capturing what their older person is doing in city council. Um, and the, yeah. Yeah, I think they, there's a certain shift in how you think about how media portrays your community too, or I think you go from saying like, I'm just a consumer, like a passive consumer of this, to thinking like, I can be a producer of this. You know, like, yeah. I can own this, I can do this. So that, that's really, I think, my favorite thing about the, the responses that we get. Yeah, they even like will host public newsrooms if they have like a workshop idea. Hi, I'm curious to know, how do you incorporate multimedia in what you're actually teaching the people who come for fellowships and then in terms of how you're putting your stories out how, how where does the you know are you putting out stories via print broadcast online that goes back to the question about collaborations um, again we don't our staff right now is what 13 people yeah. two years ago it was two people um, we didn't really have the in-house capacity to have like a, a video producer, an audio producer. Uh, what we did find a way to do those things were was to work with really strong partners uh, locally who were very good at that and um, found an interest in having future interns or future fellows or future reporters who were trained at City Bureau but could work with them. So there was like a mutual exchange of, okay, you know how to produce audio, WBEZ, um, of the TV stations, the you know all the multimedia. Um, if we find ways to work together, there is this kind of future benefit of we're improving the ecosystem together, and that means better trained journalists, uh, more people who um, understand what it takes to make that kind of work and value it. And so yeah, those kind of mutual collaborations I think answers kind of how we approach that early on. Yeah, and even some of the fellows, like the team leads that we've taken on, like they, some of them have been, you know, well-versed in radio journalism or, or we have a photo journalism fellowship. So they'll sort of, that they'll kind of help train up a team and, to, and go from there. Mm -hmm. Okay. Great. Thank you so much.
I am Dan Malthrop. I'm chief executive here at the City Club, and today we've been with a forum, uh, the second forum in our Reimagining Journalism series. It was a conversation with City Bureau co-founders Andrea Hart and Daryl Holliday. Our moderator was Lila Mills, communications manager for Neighborhood Connections. Our forum today is sponsored by the Cleveland Foundation. We're delighted to have staff, board members, and donors and guests with us today. We appreciate your support of City Club programming. Additionally, we welcome guests at, at a table hosted by the Akron Community Foundation, as well as those joining us today as part of the St. Luke's Foundation's Resident Leaders Scholarship designed to deepen community understanding of how to evaluate and implement policies and initiatives that help close the health equity gap. Lastly, we welcome students from Solon High School and St. Martin de Porres and thank them for their questions. Those were obviously the best questions that were asked, no offense to anybody. <laughs> Um, support for student participation in City Club forums comes from the William M. Weiss Foundation with additional support from donors you'll find listed in our program today. We're very happy to have all of you with us. Daryl Holliday spoke of the technology that City Bureau has developed and the how-to. We uh, we've got a workshop right after this um, in our POG room, and all of you with us here today are, are invited to, to join us for that. If you have more questions, it's an informal workshop, um, and we're delighted to have a chance to do a deep dive on City Bureau's great work. Thank you very much. That's the end of our forum today. Daryl, Andrea, Lila, thank you so much. Thank you, members and friends of the City Club. You are making this possible every time you contribute to City Club and come to City Club. It's your financial support that makes this work possible. To find out more about upcoming forums and how you can support the City Club, including how you can take advantage of today's Giving Tuesday special offer, pay what you wish membership for you or a gift for someone you love, you can visit us online at cityclub.org. This forum is now adjourned. For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org. Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC, the Chautauqua Institution, the Cleveland Clinic, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.